A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey, proudly brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Hayden Jones. It was just by the Ghoul race course, and a car came, it only had one headlight on. So there were three of them, and the first guy uh, moved just down onto the road a wee bit because they thought it was a motorbike with one headlight. Died straight away. My dad was second, and he was in hospital for 10 days. And the third guy survived, luckily. So um, so I went to see him, and, and then I don't remember being told that he died, but I remember going to his funeral. Hayden Jones is an ultramarathon runner. That's a fairly new cap that he's begun wearing. He's also a well-known current affairs TV host. You may recognise him as the face or voice from Fair Go, Seven Sharp, the good sorts segment at the end of the news on Sunday nights. It's a really cool feature that he's done for years. He's also a dad and a husband, all roles that he juggles successfully. And one of his secrets to getting it all done, doing those long runs when the kids are in bed after dark. We cover a lot of ground in this chat, including his early days at TVNZ when he was a journalist working for Paul Holmes on The Holmes Show. Also coping with the loss of his father at the age of five. It's a tragic story, this one. His uh, father was out running when Hayden was five and was hit by a car that had one headlight and uh, passed away in hospital a short time later. I love sitting down with Hayden and I really hope you guys enjoy this chat too. Thanks very much to the sponsors, Radix Nutrition. These guys are doing incredible stuff. They do protein and smoothie powders and freeze-dried meals, which actually taste amazing. These guys have huge plans to take on the world when it comes to health and nutrition, and it is wonderful to have a ringside seat as they do so. Actually, if you are yet to try their stuff, they have a special deal going right now. You can sample their protein powder for free. Five sample sachets of their five different flavors for five bucks postage. Those flavors, banana, coconut, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. All you got to do, go to radixnutrition.co.nz, that's spelled R-A-D-I-X, Click on drinks, then click on try sample pack. Or you can find the link in the show description. That's radixnutrition.co.nz. All right, let's get into it. Hayden Jones on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hey, Runners Only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey and Hayden Jones. G'day, mate. How are you going? You're going very well. Thanks for coming over. Um, you must be sore today. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday, and on Saturday you ran the uh, Ring of Fire. And um, we at Tongariro? Yeah, it sounds like a pepper eating contest or something, Ring of Fire. Right. It? But it was uh, a run around Aurupehu. Uh, uh, I did the 50K, which sounds like a bit of a sellout because the whole thing is 70K, but I did, uh, I did the 50. So start at Turoa and uh, end up at um, Whakapapa. And it, it broke me. Yeah, so there's there's numerous um with this event, Ring of Fire, there's numerous different events. Um I I'm I'm mad at you though for for like selling yourself short and calling it a cop out. It's still an ultra marathon and fifty Ks is nothing for anyone to scoff at, especially when it's an off road thing. Just because it's not the biggest event on the day, you gotta stop this. Cut, <laughs> sure, cut this shit right, out. Right. <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna start with a telling off, but <laughs> check enough. yourself. Well earned too. Yeah, so you, you're, you're quite a late bloomer to running? When did you start? How are you, 47 now? 
I am. I am forty-seven. Um, oh, I guess so. Well, if you want the long story, this is a long conversation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going okay. all the time. Well, let's, let's set our stalls. Um, well, my family were runners, and they were in kind of athletics. You know, in the eighties when John Walker was running around with a, a beautiful mane of hair and all Dick Quacks and all those sort of guys. So my mum and dad actually started the Gore Junior Athletic Club, and my earliest memory of running was being very, very annoyed that the family relay, there were four, four by 100 metres and there were five in our family and I was about three, so I wasn't running and I was never selected for the Jones family relay. <laughs> very, very annoyed. So it started with kind of junior athletics and stuff and I ran the odd half marathon and then just kind of descended into middle-agedhood and working and kids and marriage and travelling and just life got in the way and then last year I just think I was just a bit sick of everything so I just started running. Um, longer distances started small with 5k's and then a friend of mine ran ultras she's still running ultras hi Helene Baron and um, just got into it and for some reason the body loves to be punished mm. what do you what do you mean when you say you got into it because you were a bit sick of everything oh I was just uh, I think uh, everyone blames COVID it wasn't especially COVID because I was in New Plymouth and it's a great place to lock down all that sort of thing but um, just I have quite a rigorous I shouldn't really complain a, a a great job at TV and Zebra. I get to go around and meet people around the country, but it's also long hours, early flights, late nights, you know, um, so it's really tiring. And uh, I've got three kids and a wife. You know, I'm just like everyone. We've all just got life. And I just, sometimes it just, you just get worn down. I, I felt like I needed to go find something that set me free a bit. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So some would say it's a midlife crisis, and I feel like um, the phrase um, on itself, midlife crisis, gets a bad rap, but when you do something like that, I feel like it's a good thing. It's almost like a midlife reset, Yes, right? So like, it's, it's, like if you keep the same, you're, you're doing things like 50K runs, and you did the Kepler Challenge, which is 60Ks, this is going to set you up for the second half of your life. You're going to be a better husband, a better dad, a better person, a better employee. Hope so. I do feel more alive. Like uh, when I did the... The first ultra I did was the the Topol one, and it was 50Ks, and afterwards, I felt amazing. Like, my wife said, I don't know what's happened to you, but you need to keep running, because I was sprinting down the beach on the Monday after doing it on the Saturday, and just feeling so alive, and I remember doing the Kepler, and I was at an aid station, and a guy said to me, because I talk a lot, I'm sorry to all the people that I run with, but I talk a lot and ask people questions, I try and distract myself from the actual pain of running by talking to people, so... It's a full-on, you know, talk show all the way around the track. And I stopped at an aid station, and the guy said to me, Hayden, you are high. You are high as a kite on dopamine. You just, I must have just been blithering away and eating jet planes. and <laughs> <laughs> Just high on life. You must it have is a, that, though. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic feeling. It's like, like nothing else. And you just feel, I, I don't know, I, I think even though you have lows in these runs, when you reach that finish line and you achieve something that you wondered if you were able to do, you just feel like a million dollars, and you feel like anything that you put your mind to as a human being, you can do. Yeah, really hard to explain, and it still sucks going out when you get out the front door and you've got to run for a training run in the first K. I still feel like a complete plotter and like I'm not going to last till two Ks. That just, I don't think that ever goes away. Mm. That my body's like, oh, do we have to run today? <laughs> What's this all about? Yeah. yeah. So were you like largely... Um, like, like lazy or inactive in your 20s and 30s? Or what did you do? Like some, no, I've always uh, chased some sort of inflated ball, like usually a football, and then I've played cricket and tennis. I was always that kind of kid who played everything. Not amazing at any of these sort of things. Played a few reps up, but just really enjoyed sports and loved team sports. Like if you, I moved through a lot of towns, and um, if you go to a new town, just join a sports team and you meet your buddies. Oh, it's the best way. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Actually, funny you should mention cricket. Um, I... 
I, I messaged um, a mutual friend of ours, Mike Peru, yesterday. Um, <laughs> only because um, I worked with Mike in radio for a number of years, and yeah. he's from Gore. Um, so I thought, oh, I don't know. He must know something about Hayden. I said, oh, what can you tell me about Hayden? He goes, oh, I didn't really know him that well in Gore. Um, but all I remember is very good at cricket. Oh, Mike Peru, yeah. <laughs> it's like three of us from Gore, Barry Sofa. I used to live beside his mum. And Mike Pudu, who was the same year as me and was big on the radio, and and me as well. Yeah, he was great, Mike. Still is great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're from Gore. Um, where did you? Where, why did you decide to get into radio or TV? Uh, you did. You did radio initially, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, my first job uh, was at the Gore Enzyme, which at the time was New Zealand's smallest daily paper, twelve pages, six days a week. They called it the Two Minute Silence because that's how long it took to read it. And so I started in there just writing uh, when I was at high school. I just thought, well, I might as well give it a go. I wanted to be an accountant, and then I realised I couldn't count. So I went to um, the newspaper and just said, can I write for you guys? And they said, yes, because working for free is one of the ways to get up in the world when you're a kid. 100%. That's how I got my start as well. Yeah. Exactly the same. Knocked on the radio station door? Yeah. I I, I did like a work experience thing at um, 2XS, which was the station in Palmerston North. Yes. And just volunteered, kind of made a pest of myself. And if they needed someone to help out on the weekends with sausage scissors or whatever, I was that guy. Yeah. And then when a position came up, they just gave me the job because they knew I was trustworthy, reliable, and desperate. (laughs) (laughs) And cheap. (laughs) Yeah. He's been working for free for two years. Why do we have to pay him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, you're so right. But it's still a it's still a way now. Like one of my um, recent producers in radio, Carl Thompson, he got in the same way. Didn't do any study or anything. Just came and he had that hunger and that desire. And uh, it gets you a long way. It still can work that way. Oh, still. The same rules still apply. So I did that and then – Went to university at Otago for a year, and then the sports reporter resigned at the at the Gore Inns, and so they rung me up. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be a sports reporter. That'd be fun for New Zealand's smallest daily newspaper. But I'd <laughs> Covering also, all the sport events in oh, Gore? Oh, all the sports. <laughs> but, but I'd just gone to Otago University from Gore, and it seemed like Disneyland. Like, just, you know... Oh, Everything going, oh, it was yeah. fantastic. I was in Cumberland Hall having the, just the time of my life. So I did decide to pack it in and go back to Gore for a year, which was difficult. But they, I just learned so much from just working as a journalist. And then uh, I moved to Palmerston North and finished my degree at Massey and used to listen to you on the radio. And I actually apply, I um, helped out at your radio station, Steve Rowe. Did you actually? Yeah. When? When were you there? I did uh, radio commentaries for, was it Magic? Oh, Magic 828. Yeah, the <laughs> AM station. Magic 828, yeah. Magic oh, hard case. Yes. Wow, did our paths cross? Never. No. Never, never met you officially, but just same building. And then I helped out at ZB down the road, and Steve Rowe didn't mind that either. So I worked for both competing companies at the same time. Well, they gave, they gave me some money or 10 bucks an hour or something. Or yeah, yeah, fuck all, no doubt. A free pizza. Um, so so that, was, um, that was in the 90s? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, mid nineties. Yeah, and then it was, it was. Then how did you end up in Canada? You ended up in Canada, right? Yeah, um, finished finished my degree, went to Gore, and then the same guy in Palmerston North rang me and said, "There's a job going in New Plymouth. Got a job up there." And um, you may not remember, but uh, there was a, a, a the police shot a guy called Stephen Wallace and White. Oh, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah smashing windows in the main street of town. The golf club. Yeah, yeah big yeah. story. And I covered that for radio, and <sighs> that just. Um, must have done a good job, and then started getting offers after that. Worked up here uh, for a radio news station, and then um, 
went overseas and we moved to uh, Edmonton with my now wife and she was doing a scholarship there in physical education and uh, I tried to get a job in radio there were no radio jobs so I just rang up the TV station and went in and the first two TV stations gave me a job so or offered me a job so I worked for CBC there and then I just kind of made coffee and made phone calls and then in summer everyone took holidays so they let me do stories I always remember the first time I was on TV and the next day the boss comes over and I had my desk by the water cooler which no one wanted he comes over and he gets his cup and he, he kind of half fills the glass and he goes, Hayden, he takes a sip and fills it up a bit more and he goes, that wasn't too bad. And then he'll let me do stories. So I came back to New Zealand with a, you know, a tape from an overseas news network and that kind of you know, got me in the door at TVNZ and applied for a news job, didn't get it. Bloody Charlotte Glennie got it, who was amazing. And um, Holmes rang me up and said, because I was a bit quirky and a bit weird, and that's what they were looking for. So they said, come and do a couple of stories for us. And then I was there for, I'm still there now. That's amazing. Now, I, I don't want to I don't want patronise anyone that's listening to this, but for anyone that doesn't know, Holmes was the 7pm show on TV1, uh, now called 7 Sharp. Yeah. Um, but it was like game-changing, groundbreaking current affairs TV. It's yeah. a massive show. Yeah. Uh, like any big start in New Zealand would go on Holmes. Yeah. Um, Paul Holmes died a number of years ago, but he was at the breakfast host on ZB for a number of years and did this TV show. Like worked both ends of the day for many, many years. Also loved to smoke and drink as well. <laughs> <laughs> loved his loved his buttery shards. Oh, loved his yeah. ciggies. Um, he lived a big life, a massive, massive life, and a massive heart. Wow. So how did how did so so he so you didn't approach him. He just, you ended up on his radar somehow. Yeah, well, they obviously saw my tape when I went for this news job, and yeah, they rang me and said, you can't, can you come down and do a piece? The, the assignment they gave me was, can you go to the viaduct and um, interview people about uh, when, when Russell Coots was in a lingy for the America's Cup, and he was like public enemy number one. So I went down with a clipboard trying to sign people up for the Russell Coots fan club. It <laughs> <laughs> was so much fun. Oh, that's a that's um that's a blast from the past. That was a big deal as well. Yeah, Russell Coots and Brad Butterworth. They were considered like a part, yeah massive massive traitors. Shit, now we're both uh, sounding old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's funny. I feel like um New Zealand's not the same now. Like if um Blair Chook and Peter Burling decided to go and race for a different syndicate, I feel like, like yeah. I feel like people would be a bit more mature about it now. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Maybe not. I think so. but, yeah. Yeah, but Holmesy was amazing. Just gave his best. And if we couldn't get someone on the show, um. I've never seen anyone else do this. He would get on the phone personally and ring them up, and he was great with people, just so good with people. And um, nine times out of ten, they would get on the show. If He would always grumble about it. He thought the public didn't like him and would get in the car, because I had to produce a lot of his field um, field work. He'd be like, oh, do we have to go and do this? This is going to be terrible. Oh, no. And he'd go out there, and he would charm them and get what he needed, and amazing. And he was one of those guys, so annoying. He knew everyone's name. We went to a, like a teen... Um, mother's unit where they, they were going to have um, babies obviously well they all had babies and it's like this room about eight of them in a circle and he shook them all and said hi all the way through I said oh yeah that's pretty good but on the way out he said thank you Lisa thank you Sharon just knew the whole is that so yeah and I was like man that is amazing just yeah, everyone talked about Holmes having like the, the common touch or yeah. being the man of the people or relatable or whatever yeah. um, did he ever did he ever yell at you he had a notorious tantrum on oh. him as well <laughs> Not to disrespect those in the past, but oh hey. no, I think, but I feel, I feel like this is part of the legacy. This isn't, this isn't um, shitting on a dead guy. This is part of the homes, part of the fabric of what made him wonderful. We um, we were going to the Hawks Bay because uh, remember SARS? I think it was SARS. 
no, that would have been too early. It would have been earlier than SARS. So there was a bird flu, or maybe pigs, pigs flu. Something oh, swine flu. Swine <laughs> flu. <laughs> right, right, it was one right, of those. Right. And so we were going to the Hawke's Bay to interview the doctors and look at the sealed unit and that sort of thing. So we were on a plane and Auckland about to go. And the other reporters from the Homes program, it was like the, the first victim was in Danny Rick and we knew, but we shouldn't know. And we were going to go knock on their door and try and get them on camera. And it was all like, so I couldn't tell Holmes that we knew because it might intercept our relationship with the hospital people. And so he kind of got wind that I knew that we were, that something else. And he was like, you're not telling me what's happening, gang. And we're in that, we're in the middle of a plane about to take off. And he's on one side of the aisle and I'm on the other. And he's like got his finger at me in my face like, the, show, the name was on the marquee. What's the name on the marquee? And I'm trying to figure out what this marquee he's talking about. And he's talking about the name on the show. And the name on the show is Holmes. And he's Paul Holmes. And you must tell me at all times. I'm bloody never going to forget this. And he went, tore an absolute strip off me. And then we got off the plane and we had a great day filming and it went really well. And on the way home, the plane, he goes, oh, Hayden, I'm a bit sorry about that. It was That was probably a bit much on the way over. But he was so likeable and so passionate about it. You just... Yeah, yeah, you take the good with the, the bad. At, oh, the, yeah. at the time, though, being like a young a young journalist uh, working with the king of New Zealand media, that must have been intimidating as fuck. Like when he, if Holmes is telling you off, it must yeah feel like a telling off. Oh, the first few times I just didn't know what. Oh, I was first doing. few times, <laughs> yeah. After a while, you get immune to it. Oh, he did. The longer I worked there, the less he did. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He just knew when he was going to blow, and he was really. Um, very sensitive and aware, like if something was going down, that he was in the papers. He was in the papers a lot for stuff that wasn't to do with his job. He was news. Yeah, he was, and he we would like in the bottom floor of the TVNZ car park. He wouldn't want to walk past the door where you could see in because he thought there might have been photographers there. So we'd have to kind of take the long way just to get to the car where we were going. Sometimes that sort of level of anxiety, paranoia, or whatever was quite confronting for a boy from Gore who walked for the Gore <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> It was yeah, quite surreal sometimes. Especially you'd go out with other people too and they would like fawn him or some people would have, not many people had a go at him, but they would fawn him or they'd ask for this or that. It just, they wanted a piece of him. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Mm. It's funny, I just want to um, pick up on something you just said because um, Mike Perdue, who I mentioned before, this is something he said a lot. He, he phrased it differently. Like whenever he experienced some success in his life, like whenever we won radio awards together or had, had a good time in the ratings or he got a new job, had re- referred to himself as like um, not bad for a, like a, a small gay Māori boy from Gore. <laughs> um, you, you had a few less adjectives there, but is, do you think like growing up in a tiny small town like that, you'd have sort of lower expectations for what you should achieve? Uh, well, you don't have expectations. Like, t- tele, I remember when Telethon was in Dunedin, we'd, I ne- we never drove, that was too far for us, but just TV never came to Gore. You never saw anyone from your town on TV. There was no other, there was nothing else. So the idea that I would end up on TV was just, Preposterous. We're just like too much of a leap. I thought if I absolutely kicked every goal in life, I could be a sports reporter at the Southland Times. That would be just shit hot. <laughs> you cracked it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and that is a great job. And but just it's amazing. It's just small steps, eh? You just keep keep grinding away. Yeah, yeah, and just got to find something you enjoy doing mostly because if you mm. enjoy it, you might actually be okay at it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from like a like a, a huge city compared to where you guys are from. I'm from Palmerston North, but I, I feel like it's the same sort of thing in a place like Palmerston North. Like you, you have low expectations for w- what you should achieve. Um, and I look back now and I think if I put my mind to just about anything within reason, yeah. I probably could have achieved it, you know? Um, 
it's quite quite funny. I wonder if it's still like that in the, the regions and the provinces of New Zealand. Well, maybe it's more accessible now because of the internet, so people can yeah. be the internet YouTube stars from their you know bedroom or garage. You know, can make a garage TV show or whatever, which is so exciting because there was no access for any of that sort of things. So you thought you'd make the local paper or you know, but you were big when I was at Varsity. You were massive. You and Mike West, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Mike right. Mike West yeah. and Baldrick. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Just must listen. <laughs> Radio. Yeah, I, I think we were quite um, ahead of its time for like a regional, a regional radio show. Mike is still there now. He's yeah. still doing the breakfast show now. It's, the station's not called 2XS anymore. It's called More FM. But yeah. he's been there forever, and he was he was so good to me and instrumental in my career. Like, um, yeah, he, he was – you had Paul Holmes. I probably had Mike West. Um, yeah, he just installed a work ethic in me and, you know, like tore me a new one when he needed to. Yeah. Um, but also praised me when it was deserved, which was rare. That's good. That's what you want, eh? Just, yeah. just genuine feedback either way. If you've done a bad job, then just let me have it. I think I'd rather, I'd rather know that than um, just get smoke blown mm. on your ass all the time. I feel like in today's culture, where we're at now, it can only go one way, though. Like, you can't, you, you can't tear someone a new one anymore. It'd be an HR <laughs> thing. Like, Holmes would be a bully. Yeah, I guess he would so, be called yeah. a bully. In modern day terms, he would be. He would be, yeah. But people used to have back in the day, and when I, you know, at TVNZ in the early two thousands, people would have the newsroom. There'd be rows, and people would yell. Especially in that kind of, I moved to long form current affairs, which is kind of twenty twenty. I moved to, but just kind of upstairs in that bureau, there were hardened reporters and hardened producers, and they all had their own really distinct opinions. So there would be like stand up rows all the time, and all that sort yeah, of thing. rigorous debate. Oh. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was always some sort, of, <laughs> some sort of drama going down and, yeah. It was, I love that. It's healthy. But I feel like yeah. you can't do it now. You can't raise a voice in the workplace no, anymore. No, 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 which is probably for the better <laughs> yeah, overall. Yeah, but, yeah, the good blazing row is always Yeah. Good. So um, you're you're busy now and you've got a, a – you're in a very unique position. So you work from Taranaki yeah. uh, and you do Good Sorts, which is on um, Sunday nights on One News at the end of the news. Yeah. Uh, you also do Fair Go. And you're the full in for Jeremy Wells. So if you if you turn on um, Seven Sharp and and uh, there's a good looking guy there, <laughs> <It's> probably <laughs> it means Jeremy's safe. Uh, um, how did how did you get this over? The, was this your call, like to leave Auckland and move to Taranaki? And, and that must have been a terrifying prospect because it's um a lot, a lot of people in, in the, the media are very insecure. So you think out of sight, out of mind. If you're out of Auckland, you're out of the picture. Well, what? Yeah, people said my career was done. Yeah, did they? Yeah, like, you know, just why are you leaving Auckland? The media hub is Auckland. How are you ever going to carry on? You've, there's a small step you missed. Um, I wanted to give live television a go, but couldn't really honestly crack it. They wouldn't give me a go on breakfast. Uh, so um, remember Good Morning? Yes. Between nine and midday. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, Mary Lambie did it for a while. Brendan Pongia. Yes. Who yeah, else? I did it with Brendan and Sarah Bradley right. for a year. And I always said our audience was those who are in prison or those with new babies or those in rest homes. So people who didn't really have any control of their own free will. But, um, <laughs> it was weird. It was like half, half advertorial. Yeah. Half it's three content. hours a day. It was a lot of cook, cooking was big at the cooking. time. I couldn't cook to save myself. So I'd be with this chef. But there was great experience in terms of learning and getting the to relax around live TV and just knowing it'll be okay. And there's always, in fact, I find live easier because um, it's gone, right? It's like live radio; it's gone. It's yeah, like and also I suppose something like breakfast, just the quantity of hours you're doing, you're getting, you, you know, you're getting the hours in. Yeah, you're getting your, your feet. You got to go and do it. You just got to somehow find the opportunity to go and do it, no matter what it is. If you can just get a chance to do it for mm. money, for love, you know, a mm. high level or a low level. Like people ask me about broadcasting. 
um, like student school students enough, I'm like, man, go and find your local access radio and just give it a go. Mm. And then, you, then you'll mm. know whether you like it. So, yeah. So, so yeah, now that you bring that up, um, there's one clip that goes to mind that went viral where Brennan Pongia farted. Were you there that day? <laughs> Were you on that show? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. It was before my time. But right. I can confirm, well, according to Brennan Pongia, he did not fart. So I think it might have been on Eating Media Lunch. And I think during Wells, they added it in, um, in editing. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a bit mean-spirited. <laughs> but that's Brendan Pongia's story, so who knows? Yeah. Okay, so you do you do Good Morning. Then, So how do you end up back in Taranaki with, um, with all these um, little jobs on your hands? Oh, well, I just, um, to be honest, I found it a bit of a challenge, some of the content in Good Morning. So after a year, it was pretty mutual, really, um, I decided to leave, and I thought that in TVZ were offering the kind of things I'd done back in Auckland. So it was a bit of a crossroads, really, and um, we just had, my wife had just had our first child. She was about one, so I was like, she wanted to go home to be close to her family and stuff, and we'd met in New Plymouth, so that was that was kind of really our home. So I was like, okay, so we went and did that, and I just worked a couple of weeks, a couple of days a week on Good Sorts, and looked after my daughter, and we hit every playgroup in the whole town trying to find the best baking, and... We had a great time for a couple of years, and then Seven Chart rang me up and said, can you do some stories for us? So I'm making that change from, oh, there's been so many iterations of that show, I can't remember which one, maybe when Close Up at Seven started. Right, with Sainzo, Mark Sainsbury. Yeah, maybe yeah. Sainsbury, yeah. So they, I was in there, so I helped them do some stories for that, and then kind of became a full-time gig, and I kept doing good sorts throughout all that time, so and then kind of just just happened by accident. I kind of I learned to shoot and edit, which I really love, so that kind of, and, and so the TVZ kind of gets the finished product, which is a control freak, which we all are really. Yeah, and also I suppose it give, adds more value to what you can do and yeah. makes you more indispensable in a way. Hopefully. Um, we, we, just backing up the truck a little bit, so so, as, so your wife's family's from um, Taranaki. Yes. Um, so was there like a, like a much of a debate there, like you, you saying to your wife, Santa, you know, this is going to be going to be career suicide for me, I'm going to be fucked, or were you quite uh, open to the idea? No, I was open to the idea, and I'm, I wanted to maybe make some own programs, which I had to go at, which weren't very successful, but um, I really enjoyed the process and the freedom of it, and um, I just, I think I enjoyed getting out of the newsroom, it's probably good for my mental health. Mm. Because there's so many other people in there, and they all want to do this similar thing. I think it's great to just get some air and and just concentrate on what you're supposed to do, which is you know, well they call it content these days, don't you? Yeah. Create content. Yeah. So so the, the good sorts thing that was um, a concept you came up with. I read you um, you ripped the idea off from uh, you saw it, you saw it in America, and it was called um, it's called Heroes. Heroes or something. Yeah. So you came back, gave it a more Kiwi name, and boom. Yeah, it wasn't really the same thing. They did this thing. It was like half an hour, and it was really so American and overblown it was amazing it was you know people pulling cats on fire out of trees and saving disabled but it was just amazing and it was like highly highly produced it would have been a crew of thousands and I thought what about if we just had something that's a couple of minutes long and people in the community get to say who goes on TV and the sort of low level things that never ever make the news ever they do now in other places but when it first started it was all victim TV and some really heavy stuff going on television. I thought, what about something that is really family-friendly and that you can sit down with your family and feel a bit inspired and stuff that is, happens in 99% of our communities but never makes the news because mm. the news is the top 10 worst things that happened in the world today and descending order from worst to... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for anyone that hasn't hasn't seen it, and I'd struggle to find anyone that hasn't seen at least uh, good sorts once, mm. um, 
Yeah, it's just right at the end of the Sunday night news, just before seven o'clock on one, and uh, you're just basically awarding, you know, just acknowledging um, people that are doing good shit in the community. Yeah. In their community. Yeah, pretty much. They feel amazing too. And it's been going for a long time. How many, how many episodes have you done? Ooh, probably about 600. It's like I, speed dating. So, you, so 50 a year, say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, high 40s a year, mid 40s a year, yeah. and then, yeah, for 14, 15 years. You're joking. Yeah. So you've been in Taranaki that long? No, oh. no, I started doing good sorts in Auckland okay. in the 2009, I think it was, 14 years, yeah. Mm. Every time a new, I don't know what the boss, the, every time there's a new director of news or something, are you, do you like sort of fear a little bit that they're going to be, <laughs> you know how a new boss comes along and they always yeah. want to change direction or do something different? Yeah. Is there an element of fear every time a new person comes into the newsroom? I and, think none of them have been brave enough to suggest <laughs> getting rid of it. Because it's such a nice, positive thing. Yeah, and I, yeah. Think, I think the num- number crunches that TVNZ would like, they call accelerated flow, so it helps the news program flow into country calendar without people having the chance to swap channel. So keep them happy, get them out of the new show, into country calendar, don't change the channel. Mm. That's what the beat oh, counters would say. Quite a science, quite a science. Is, is there one that, that stands out as your, as your favourite of all time? Or um, is it just too, you've done too many to... Well, I love them all for the week they're on. And then, you know, they do drift back. But there is one called Joe Poland, who is, she's from Port Waikato. And I just had, it was a corner of the circumstances in my life, but I just had uh, my first child. I've got three now. And... Um, so I was really big on it, and she was about 60-odd. It's very dangerous to try and guess a woman's age. It's just dangerous territory. But she... If in uh, doubt, just have it. She was 30. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She, um, her, one of her relatives had got addicted, uh, I think methamphetamine addiction, mm. and um, she got an, an email, went round the family, and there were triplets. And it was, who's going to take these kids or they're going into state care? And she was 60-odd, just starting, you know, getting near retirement at a time in her life where her own children were out in, in, in the world. And it was kind of her time, and she took on three three-year-olds. And there was, like, parenting books by her bed because she was like, it's just different but the same, and I'm not sure how I'm going to parent. And I just thought, changing your whole life on a dime. She said the photos in the email was what got her. When she saw the photos of the kids, she's like, oh, I'm going to have to, I've got to do this. And I just thought, man, that's life changing. So selfless, isn't it? Yeah, and life changing for three of those kids. Like that's three humans that you're like swinging their life around it. And I saw them ten years later. I did a where are they now kind of good sort special, and I drove them to boarding school. Well, they're in Port Waikato. They had to get to boarding school. I was leaving, and I said, I'll get in the car. I'll take it. And it was just amazing. They were kind of telling me in the car about just the um, aspirations these days and what Joe had done. And yeah, it was like good on her. That is cool. Yeah, that is cool. Do you keep in touch with many of the people? Yeah, yeah, like social media fuel hit you up for bits and pieces and you see someone in the street and your brain is like, I'm on a full panic about shit, who is this? Well, it's been a lot of years. So yeah. Well, they remember you like it was yesterday. Like, hey, yeah, and yeah. I don't remember the cup of tea we had. Wow, that's Yeah, cool. but it is really nice. You can go into most towns and there'll be someone, someone you know. So it's a real um, honour and a joy to be able to do it for so long. And it's also hard work in terms of getting to the place every week or, you know, someone's is Friday nights or Saturday nights at the laptop in the lounge cutting stories madly because you can't miss a Sunday and there's no, I'm sick, I'm not going to do it this week or I've taken annual leave, that doesn't work either. So it's, you know, I haven't missed one in a long time. So, mm. it's, yeah, it's a, it's a commitment, but it's worth it like anything in life. Yeah, real rewarding. And, um, and I suppose there's no shortage of applicants as well. 
No. And the best ones are like, just kids will go, can you, my mum's pretty good, can you come and see her? So I've done a few of those. And you can, you just back yourself to find something. Because no one's boring, you just need to spend the time with them and they'll they'll tell you things. Yeah, yeah. Or just like this, really. Sometimes do you, do, you, do you go away from a session and go, oh, fuck, you know. <laughs> you know, it, it's good, but I haven't, you, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's no, who was the lady you said before, Joe? Joe Poland, yeah. yeah it's, no, it's, it's good, but it's no Joe Poland. Oh, no, well, you, you've got to just set your expectations <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it's, it is what it is, so you don't want to create something that's not there, and you've just got to trust their story, and I've, there's just funny little things that people do that don't even know they're doing that I really focus on and find quite illuminating. I can't give you an example at the moment, but yeah. just, yeah, there's stuff all the time. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And, and fair go, um, uh, hand on heart, I need full disclosure. I haven't haven't watched it in in, in years, but it, it's been, it was part of the fabric of our family growing up. Yes. Uh, back, I think maybe this is even before TV three when there was just two channels in New Zealand. Fair go was a big thing, and you'd even you'd even overhear people at restaurants or supermarkets or whatever, or at the mechanics shouting out, "I'm going to take this to fair go." <laughs> I feel like um surely like over the years with social media and stuff that sort of diminished. What what, what does fair go look like now? Um. Is it, is it more quirky than what it was back in the day, or oh, is it still the same sort of fabric? I think the, the same fabric is there in terms of that people are really pissed off. And, <laughs> like, it's the show that, A, no one wants to be on, because you've either been ripped off or you're ripping people off. So no one wants to be on this TV show. So these people are desperate enough that things have happened so bad that I, I'm going to tell the country about it and the hope that they'll fix it. Yeah, so there's yeah. a real, like, and you've got to feel for them. Um the bad guys are still the same. They kind of go under categories. It's kind of your, your dodgy tradie. They're still out there. <laughs> They're everywhere. And the problem is, is, you know, a lack of kind of licensing and stuff. You can stick a roof up and no one really, you know, or, you know, plumbers, that sort of thing. I'll get in trouble. Um, and But there's also crafty corporates. Like you buy a phone these days. It's like a four-page contract. Terms and conditions, they're locking you into all sorts and of things. No and you've got no, no, no one's one. reading it. No, no one is reading them. So there's kind of crafty corporates, your dodgy tradies, there's people that just skip town, there's um, food producers who stick like three <laughs> chips in the chip bag, you know, there's all sorts of crafty things, they're making big boxes with tiny things in them, there's, It's and, and the internet is full of, just don't buy stuff on Facebook people, the internet is just full of things where good honest people are just going wrong, they're being duped or ripped off, so in fact with the internet and stuff, we, we need it more than ever, but people think we're a public service. So they'll send us a like, oh, can you guys fix this? Or this guy hasn't paid me this money. Or this thing's broken. Only <laughs> like two a weeks. Deck collector. Yeah, pretty much. And then, <laughs> and then you go, oh, yeah, that's great. So we'll come around with a camera um, next Thursday at 2. And they're like, oh, no, I'm not going on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to fix it. And you're like, you didn't Come on, it's all about content. You didn't realise we're a TV show. Yeah. So that, this is how the whole game works is that, you know, you have to go on TV. So. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Yeah, and what aspirations do you have? Like, what what do you want to do next? Any goals, or are you just quite happy cruising and doing what you're doing? You seem to have quite a good balance between your family life and your life in Taranaki and the superstardom of Auckland. Yeah, I like to keep creating. So yeah. there's a thousand ideas, and I find the ideas are the easy part, and your brain to you know and Running is one of those things where you've got hours and hours to contemplate your life and where you're going. I'm quite impatient and quite itchy. So, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep playing on down the track. But I I love, I'm very lucky to be able to, you know, live in the provinces, to have those sort of provincial values. Kids can run around and bare feet. We're not, you know, there's no traffic. There's You know everyone down your street. I really love that. Um, but also I get to see the best parts of New Zealand on Fergo, the worst parts of New Zealand, all in the same week. So... <laughs> That's pretty lucky. Yeah, good sorts and bad sorts. Yeah, you want to be on the Sunday show, not the Monday yeah, show. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned your wife Xander before, so you guys, yes, you guys must have been together a long time. So you went to Canada together. So you met, you met when, like late teens, early twenties. Oh, um, for those who are familiar with New Plymouth, um, we met through friends. She was a bit younger than me, so maybe my friend of asked him about babysitted her. That sounds really dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> How big is the age gap? It's five years. Five years. Five oh, years. Yeah. So she was really babysitting her younger brothers and sisters. It's quite a get back to yeah, them. Yeah. But um, what was the question? Um, yeah, how, how did you guys meet? Oh, well, you... we met through that, and yep. then, you know, we, got, we were friends for a year, and then um, we wrote letters to each other. Gosh, she was at Otago, she, uh, was at Otago University, and I was working at um, Energy FM in New Plymouth, so um, we wrote letters to each other, and then she came home one summer, and... Bob's your uncle, and then she, yeah, she kind of, kind of followed her overseas, and yeah, amazing. This is it's funny. Little things like that really age the conversation. It's like the commit, like writing letters to each yeah. other. Is that because toll calls were just so fucking expensive? <laughs> it would have been. Hey, remember when you yeah. oh, you, had, you yeah. made a toll call and it was like a, a zillion dollars a minute or something? Do you remember the five dollars all you can talk weekends? Where you could <laughs> ring one phone call once, one phone number once for five bucks, and I'd come home from the pub and Palmy and ring my girlfriend in Dunedin. And fall asleep on the phone in the in the hall because the phone was only in the hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just to get value for money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did like a yeah talk. They had animals on the TV and it was a big telecom yes. special. Yeah. Yeah. People would just talk for hours and hours and hours, like the whole country ground to a halt because they were getting their $5 phone call. I mean, we didn't know any different at the time because it was just how it was, but... um. Yeah, yeah, and people would do their OA and go overseas, and you wouldn't, you, you know, you'd farewell your kids, and they'd go over to the UK for a year. You may not hear from them for three months. No. Have no idea what they're up to. Yeah, letter writing was the most effective form of communication. Yeah. Fucking crazy. It doesn't seem like that long ago. But Imagine the, that. The, the writing kid- something on a piece of paper and it arrives with someone <laughs> half a week later on the other end of the country. That's crazy. You've got three kids. How old are your kids? Uh, 13, 11, and 9. Right. Which is a great age. Hilarious. All, all, good, all good kids, all quite different? Nah, they're ratbags. No, they're great. They're good. A uh, 13-year-old wants a phone. We haven't given her a phone yet, so that's a big kind of debate at the moment. Um, oh, but everyone else in the class has got one. They have. <laughs> she's, so the, she's literally the only person at yeah. school that doesn't have one. 
We offered her um, one of those phones, kind of granddad phones that can only text and call, and she said that's it's more embarrassing knowing one of those than to not have a phone. So, right, I feel sorry for her. Yeah, it's a funny thing because it's um, my, my my sister, she's got kids similar age, like thirteen, and it's like oh, Edie's got a phone, but it's just for emergencies. And I'm thinking, we I don't know, we never had emergencies back in the day. <laughs> hey, they were just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, Marley's uh, 13, and i got Archer, he's 11, so he's kind of into everything. He ran the last couple of days with me on Saturday, so that's that's kind of cool to finish cross fishing finish line with your kids. That's real fun, and Perry is, uh, is nine, and yeah, she's all over it too. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Are, are, are you a good dad? You think you're... you're I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, there's always, there's, there's always room for improvement, but you, um, yeah, I suppose where I'm getting with this, we'll get into, get into your, your past, what, if you want to. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, cause you you lost your dad very. You, you lost your dad at five years old. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he was out running as well. Yeah, so it does make you pause. To when I think about my own children, about being the best parent I can be, I'm like, geez, I never had a dad, so I really want to be the best one I can be. And you know, there's obviously we all get tired and cranky and all that stuff, and that's yeah, I'm all of that. But I do try and. Like if there's something happening at school or an event on or whatever, or if they need a cricket coach or whatever, I'm you drop I'm putting yeah. where, where it can where it can be second. I'm getting down there and I'll just work later on at night or, or whatever. So that's I know every parent doesn't have that. It's a bit of a privilege, but that's kind of um, where my focus is. So I often look at my kids and think, man, I'm they're not lucky, but I'm so glad to be around and being able to offer that that I didn't have when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, because your your dad Murray Jones. Um, yes. So you you were five when you lost him. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There, there's an article on stuff about this, uh, which, which you you wrote it like about ten years ago. And uh, uh, do you, like do you want to you want to talk about the accident? Um, yeah, we can do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's one of those one of those events that can't help but shape you, who you are as a person today. Yeah, well, I do think about it. It's still like uh, losing a loved one. Everyone will know who's lost a loved one. It doesn't. The hurt never leaves. But it kind of diminishes, but it does come back from time comes comes in waves sometimes. And so, Dad was um, as you, if you're listening to the earlier part of the podcast about 45 minutes ago, uh, Dad was into running. He was mm-hmm. a big runner, and we just moved uh, from Ototo, you'd call it now, but back then it was Otautau. Um <laughs> He was in the um, post office, which uh, I feel like I need to explain this to. The post office was postage, surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, telephone calls, and banking. It was all in one. Funny operation, uh, government-owned. So he was a phone technician, so he used to move every couple of years to these kind of country exchanges and maintain them and drive around. There's these little boxes that look like sewing machines inside them. So I remember as a kid running up and down aisles of looked like the in, inside of a sewing machine. So we just moved to Gore, and we'd just been in this house uh, 10 days, and he was out running with a couple of friends. And um, it was just by the Gore race course, and a car came. It only had one headlight on. And um, so there were three of them, and the first guy uh, moved just out onto the road a wee bit because they thought it was a motorbike with one headlight, obviously, and uh, he died straight away. My dad was second, and he was in hospital for 10 days, and the third guy survived, luckily. So um, I do remember going to see Dad, and um, Mum had kind of told me on the phone that... uh, because he'd just been in hospital with his wisdom teeth out. So I said, is it like that? And she goes, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. And mm. I don't um, present her for, because I was five. So just, well, she didn't know how to no, frame it no, either. No, exactly, no. Yeah. I, yeah, I've never heard anything about that. But um, So I went to see him and remember talking to him and that sort of thing. 
And then I don't remember being told that he died, but I remember going to his funeral and we went to counselling uh, as a family, which I think was a really good thing. And uh, I remember Scout, um, Scout sucked a bit because we'd have to go to the father and son dinners and you'd be at the end of the table with the four other kids that didn't have dads. And the, the poor old Scout master was very busy, but that was... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Shit. Yeah, oh, man, I always loved my football coaches and that sort of thing because I kind of took them on as dads, and there were um, mm. dads who would uh, one dad taught, <laughs> taught me how to fight. That was pretty hilarious. Yeah, I read about that in this, this article that I referenced before that you wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of your mates, his dad, like he used to wrestle you and stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like some um, some? Um, God, sorry, I'm getting emotional as well. Right. This is a lot, man. Um, do you feel like some? Your parents like that, of like your mates, they tried maybe extra hard with you because they knew that you had this sort of void in your life. Do you know what I, I mean? Think so probably, yeah. mate. They would have been aware <laughs> to pick like up the slack knew. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. That was right. funny. That wrestling thing on there was like on the lounge floor. <laughs> 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 and he was like, "Come at me!" And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and he's like, "Now, if he does this, do this, and all this sort of stuff," and it was mm. hilarious and really, um, I guess, it, you know, gave me some comfort. That sort of thing. There was a few scraps and gore. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, my football coaches, I was just, I remember be like, man, wish I had one of these. These were pretty cool. And the old um, birthday cake, when you play out the candles, always wish for a dad. That was tragic. Oh, mate. Yeah. Oh, shit. And, but, um, um, in, in, in this article you talk about, so um, you, you, the, the accident occurs, and then your dad's on, um, he's unconscious or he's on life yeah. support for 10 days, and your mum made you go to the hospital and talk to him. Yeah. Do you remember much about that, or? Oh, just. It's funny the stuff you remember. I remember the corridor, like walking down the corridor and going to see him. And I remember kind of his, um, couldn't see any like physical day. He just looked like dad in a, in a in bed, really. And I remember, you know, you have the wires out of his arm and stuff. And I remember it felt weird talking to him. Because he couldn't five. talk back. No, yeah. he couldn't talk back. Yeah. He was unconscious, right? So you're like, hi, dad, how's it going? And I've been doing this today and that stuff. But we only did that once, which I think is probably enough. But I, it was nice to, to go and mm. see him. So I was thinking about you on my run this morning before you came in, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I've just turned fifty recently, and I'm very, very lucky to have both my parents still alive. Um, and I was trying to think about the memories I had of like my own dad before the age of five, and there are some. But I, like, do you remember much about your dad? Yeah, um... man. I wonder. Like, I wondered. I guess if the memories are stronger for you because you didn't have any new ones to replace them, or. Yeah, it's funny at Christmas because my brother and sister, they're five and six years older, so they have more memories. But there's, oh, it's like anyone, the stuff you remember. remember Random. Oh, yeah, at yeah. the dump, chasing seagulls. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember you'd go to the dump and the dump was kind of wide open and there's heaps of seagulls. So Dad was driving around the dump chasing seagulls in the Cortina and he had a trailer on and it jackknifed. And he tried to blame us kids for encouraging him. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Actually, yeah, Palmer's like the weekend trip to the dump in Palmer. That was um, I I used to hate it if I was out at sport and Dad went to the dump without me. Because I'd always go back with something. You'd pick up some other junk oh, that other people yeah. had dropped off. Yeah, the seagulls and the smell that dump smell. Yeah, and you could have a look through for everything. You said get out of the way of the the digger. Is it a digger? Bulldozer. <laughs> get out of the way of the bulldozer yeah. on occasions. Life is obviously a bit different, but yeah, so just stuff like that. Um, you remember and. I used to have, follow him around all the time, and he'd, we had a great veggie garden and um, a terrific mow, and yeah, we had a chook house, and he had a radio attached to a car battery, 
and he'd have the radio on in the in the garden while he was working, and all these wires to this car battery, and yeah, just stuff like that. And a real cool train set that wound down from the garage ceiling, but I wasn't allowed to play with it, and I always wanted dying to play with it. Just you know, all, mm. that, all that stuff. How's your mum? She's still still alive and kicking. Yep, she's uh, just cracked eighty, and she runs. Wow. She goes to the Masters games and does a hundred meters in about twenty five seconds. But so proud of it. <laughs> I got a bad knee. She'd probably give me a run for oh, the money at the moment. Yeah, she she loves running, and I, she talks about when Dad died. She really hit the hit the tarmac in terms of running. I think that kind of got her through. So. Um, it's interesting, eh? Like you, you, she could have easily gone like the other way and just been, you know, triggered by running because of mm. that's uh, the event he was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, so, so who was in the house? So you, how many other siblings? Uh, I've got an older brother and sister. They're five and six years older. So yeah. I think um, my older sister took on oh, okay, a lot of responsibility of, yeah. of kind of keeping everyone in line and and getting things done. I think you know, mum obviously helped as well. They kind of worked together. Mm. I think um, it's funny that the way he died. I ran a, um, a relay, the Round the Mountain Relay in Tanaraki. I ran a couple of legs for a law firm a wee while ago, and it started at, my leg was at 6 a.m. in the morning, and it was dark. So I remember running, and I didn't have enough lighting, and I remember running along this road, and these trucks were whizzing past me. I was like, bloody hell, this is too close for comfort. This mm. is like, you know, I felt this is just, it's really, it's triggered, <laughs> triggered by Yeah, it, oh, really. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's strange, there's sort of the odd thing that pops up like that. Mm. But, you know. Onwards and upwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be something that, um, like, when you were, you, your kids are all past the age that you were now, like, it must have been something that's, like, you know, very clear in your mind when they're, they're the same age as what you were when you lost your dad. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yeah, mm. it does um, really make you, um, you know, just really enjoy those moments that you have with them and take heaps of photos. And I've always got the – sometimes I have a camera out or there's a camera on my phone, you know, all that stuff just – you got to make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. God, you think he'd be proud of um, the man you've become? Oh, yeah, I'm not perfect by any means, but um, I hope so. I think yeah. he'd probably get a chuckle out of the out of the running and stuff, and um, he was quite technical, so he would have probably enjoy all the technical bits and pieces of tally because I'm in the technical side too in terms of making it, making it and getting it up to Auckland. He would have uh, loved all that. He loved. Uh, um, he had a great moustache, which TVNZ don't like my moustache, so they keep telling me to shave it off. <laughs> you don't have one today. When, where, is it a Movember thing? Or? Oh, no, I have a summer. I usually right, right. Just, grow, I just grow one, and then the odd time I've grown one during the year, and um, yeah, the odd boss doesn't like it at work. So give me a wee whisper to... Come on, mate, sort it out. Tidy it up, yeah. Sort it out. We'll get someone else, mate. (laughs) (laughs) There's a million other people behind you that can do your job. Yeah. Yeah. So with you, with the move to Taranaki, I suppose um, another piece that springs to mind is um, Matt Chisholm. Uh, yes. Similar sort of thing. Did, did a bit of TV current affairs stuff. Was hosting Treasure Island. Um, he made a call to move out of Auckland, moved down to the South Island, and um, hasn't worked as well for him, I don't think. Like he got, he was quite open about being shit canned from Treasure Island last year as the host. Yeah. They, they, it's, it's quite funny because whenever something like that happens, they always say, "Oh, you can control the narrative. Oh, you, yeah. you know, you can control the narrative." And uh, but he he went on Instagram and was very vocal about the fact that it wasn't his call. Yeah, because I, um, I worked with Matt was on Fair Go for a while, yeah, for about a year or so, and he was great on Fair Go. He loved chasing people. Um, <laughs> He's such a chaser. But he, um, I think he really, in, he openly met. He uh, kind of consumed him the the demands of the jobs, and you got to get yeah. out. So I think going, going down south for him, he loves it, and I'm very envious of 
his social media game with his you know wide open space he's living in a beautiful part of the country yeah. and wife and kids and the rest of it's kind of small fry isn't it really absolutely yeah it is it is how's um how's your mental health been over the years oh pretty nice. good no pretty good i'm yep. not a i don't get too down my wife would probably disagree in terms of i'm quite impatient so if things don't happen <laughs> quickly you know um tell me about that it. sort of thing and you know near the end of the year you you get like everyone you get tired you get to kind of november or december and i just don't want to see another plane or another motel room and you know and faraway places but um other than that really good i spend january in a little place called kinlock near lake Taupo, and that's kind of just drag the kids around the lake on the boat mm-hmm. and just run the, the tracks are amazing so i run lots and yeah watch cricket on the couch and just chill out i think that's really important to try and get rid of your phone and just you know chill out mm. yeah are you, are you quite good at knowing um what makes you feel good mentally and you know what makes you makes, makes you feel bad mentally and separating the two and yeah i think too much looking at social media can you just because the world is perfect on social media and you can if you watch too much of it you think oh they're doing this and you're doing that and so you can feel inadequate like mm. suddenly what you're doing is not enough or whatever which i think is a real dangerous kind of rabbit hole to go down yeah so i think you need to just ease up on that and um just get off it <laughs> just just get off it it's hard though isn't it because it's um you know i i said like, you sound like my, my girlfriend she's always like oh you're on instagram again just zombie scrolling and i'm like oh no but i need to for, for the podcast <laughs> reality is i mean i could i could i could put like it's put, put aside like 30 45 minutes a day where i do my work yeah. on instagram or social media yeah um but instead every time i've got nothing to do i'll just pick my phone up and i'm on it and i know it's uh has a negative impact on your mental health yeah but it's, it's um so fucking addictive it's terrible it's dangerous this sounds really cheesy, but um, we're lucky enough to live quite close. No, beach views are in. We live like probably 300 metres from the beach down the end of our road. Yeah. So take the dog. Getting a dog. I got my first dog like four years ago, and I'm like, we are never getting a dog. And then this dog <laughs> came into our lives, and um, man, because it wants to go to the beach every day and just walk down the beach, or it can run with me for about 5K, and then it's had enough. Um, and that's just... The great reset. Even if the kids are cranky, take them down to the beach and just throw sticks for the dog, or have a swim, or just yeah, it's just that great reset. Oh, fresh air, vitamin D. Yeah, yeah, all those things. So, were you? Um, you would have been at TVNZ when um, Greg Boyd was there. Yes. Yeah. Were you quite close with him? Or no, no, no. I thought he was amazing and yeah. so funny. One of the f- most funniest, underrated guys in terms of because he started. He was the first host of Seven Sharp. With, um, yeah, that's right, with Alison Moore and Jesse Mulligan. Yeah, and I just never thought somehow it really showcased how funny he could be because mm. he was hilarious. So I, yeah, I was obviously sh- shocked when he when he took his life, but I wouldn't say I was yeah. close to him. Yeah, because I might have a friend on radio that um, took his life at a similar time to Greg, and uh, that sort of set, set me on a, I don't know, a, a social, I don't know, like a, a mental health like journey of discovery, I guess. And yeah. Just because I... My friend Daryl, I thought, oh, if, if Daryl can can be this low, then what's stopping anyone else, you know, being in the same sort of position? So it forced me to make some like big changes, like yeah. personally, which is good. Do you feel free doing this now? See what's happened. I've started interviewing you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I do. I I love what I'm doing now. I I, I feel it's it's better for my soul. Yeah. You know, I feel good about having good conversations with people, um, with less sort of restriction. 
Yeah, well, this That's is the nice. opposite of what you were doing, right? You were on, on the four-minute, keep it quick and snappy. Yeah, yeah, get, yeah. Get the gags, move on to something else, sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if, if this was a radio interview and one of your answers went for, like, more than, say, 30, 45 seconds, everyone would be looking at the watch like, fuck, to, <laughs> tell Hayden to hurry up. It's a, his answer's too long. We've got to get to a funny question. Yeah. Sort of thing. But it's nice to have these conversations with people where you can cover some deep stuff and let stuff breathe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, nah, it's good. This is my wife's worst nightmare, me talking for... 45 minutes. <laughs> um, and what's um, what's next for you, like running-wise? What are you doing? You got any events Ooh, lined up? Well, this was kind of, I was going to take a wee break after this, but the, the internet is full of events. There was this thing down in Oxford I was looking at the other day. It's New Zealand's toughest marathon, and it's, um, I think it's three and a half k's uphill. So you just go up and down this hill and up another one, and that's in like middle of April. It seems... Because I've got to a place where I'm... You've already got the fitness. Well, I'm quite fit. And it's like, well, I don't want to completely waste it. I play football during the winter, but it's like... But I don't want to run and kind of grind away in winter either because running's amazing, but also you're tired and sore sometimes on Sundays and I'm not a morning person, so I, I tend to run when it's dinner time, which <laughs> is do, not What popular. do you mean you're not a... How, how, you, if you've got three kids, you must be a morning person. No. Yeah. What time do they wake you up? Or are they at ages now where they're quite respectful? Uh, Archie gets up at seven. Right. He'll try and sneak into the lounge and turn the TV on if he can get away with it. <laughs> um, but but Perry will wake up at eight. We have to drag her out of bed to get to school, you know, by 8.30, 8.45. How old's Perry? Nine. Nine. And the wow. third, 13-year-old's a bit of a sleeper too. So, um, yeah, we're not like early. We've been yeah, really lucky. Yeah, Our kids yeah. are never early birds. So, no, I can't. I wish I could get out of bed at six and run for an hour and be full of the joys of the world by seven and you know ready to kick ass and take names by there, eight there there is something very smug and satisfying about getting that long run done uh, like before sunrise yeah you, you know what i mean so you got a 30k training run get up at four in the morning get it done catch the sunrise and be finished before your kids even wake up yeah. uh, it's hard to do to get you out of bed but once you've done it you feel a million dollars otherwise it doesn't don't you find it just if you're doing it in the afternoon or evening it just sort of hangs over your head all day oh yeah well, you gotta know you gotta do it but i've found the joy in uh, night running so as long as you don't eat too much dinner give it a bit of time give it like an hour i take the dog sometimes because she loves chasing cats and seems to be more cats out at night so the cats are out over the dog's like all over the place but you kind of got the place to yourself so you can run up some um some great walkways in your Plymouth you can run up and down and the moon's out and you just there's no one else around it's really peaceful just the um you're home at 10 o'clock at night and you're, you know, smack Oh, you're going, you're going late, late? Yeah, night running, yeah. And, yeah. And you got a head torch or? Sometimes we'll just run in the, um, with the road lights. But you get back at 10 and you're, so, you're super pumped and you're not going to be for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, then you'd be wired. Just yeah. the endorphins flowing for a couple of hours. Yeah, and I've got a real joy of a cold beer after a run. Yeah. Like you've earned it. So I do like, I know all the nutritionists say you probably shouldn't do that, but. Especially, I found you in um, get out in the mountain, Mount Taranaki. So I'd never really got up there a lot. So I've been up there, and there, there was obviously good training, and just yeah, it's amazing up there. Yeah, what's your relationship like with alcohol? Pretty healthy one. Uh, yeah, well, I'm 47 now, yeah. so um, tend to knock it on there. I find I still love a beer, and you know, there's a few weekends. There's ten guys from Gore. We all get together once a year, and that we give that a good nudge. But I've most of us are like by midnight, got to because the hangovers, <laughs> the hangovers are just like never ending. So no, I matured. Yeah, but oh, that's the good. boy from Gore, we all gave it a nudge back in the day. Yeah, no, no different to any other kid. 
Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a movement in, the, the, in New Zealand towards, um, you know, non-drinking, not, not sort of becoming like the fashionable or popular thing, but definitely more of a movement. And I feel like more of an understanding of your people. If someone says they choose not to drink, you're not going to call them a pussy or, no. <laughs> or, or, or bully them into having just one. You know? that. Yeah. Well, I had David Seymour on the podcast a couple of months ago and he, he, um, just prior to the last election, he had like two years where he didn't drink at all. Um, and he said he'd go to a bar or something and ask for a non-alcoholic drink. And he said, he said they'd look at him like he's got a penis growing out of his ear. Um, which is a funny way of looking at it. But it's, um, yeah, I feel like that is sort of being diminished now. Yeah, I I'd the, like to think it is anyway. The stats would suggest that we're drinking, especially young people. Like we worry about the young people and all the stuff they're into, but the stats um, say they're drinking less than yeah. we did when we were around. Yeah. So also... Um, Back to this marathon, you're talking about the world's, New Zealand's most difficult marathon with a lot of it. Yeah. You're you're going to do that? I might give that a crack. And then I was on Facebook the other day and I saw a friend who had run the Milford Track in one day. Because Milford Track, it's all booked out all year. Well, you can only go in summer, but it's booked out all summer. But you can get the boat there and then run it and then get the boat out at night and you don't have to book because it's still open as a track. I thought, oh, that seems fun. How fast is the Milford Track? What's that, 60, 50? I think it's 52 or something. And oh, piece of piss for you. <laughs> I doubt it. But, um, yeah, just stuff like that, like just have adventures because there's not a lot of adventure left in life. It's, life is very structured and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, there's, but there you can eke out the odd adventure. On Saturday, I was stuck in what seemed like the desert on the far side of Mount Uruapi who couldn't see anyone trying to find where the next pole is, you know, suffering away. And there's a part of you that just thrives for it, eh? Mm. It's fantastic. Yeah, all oh, the poles you talking about, like those big metal Waratahs, yeah, I think they call There was no track over there. It was just yeah, Waratah yeah. Waratahs. He's kind of hopping through rocks and weeds. I got lost for a bit, and then I saw another runner kind of up a few hundred metres up the mountains. They had to kind of go back up there and find the spot, and just you feel alive. Mm. I, I did a run like that a few years ago called the uh, the Mototapu Challenge, which goes, oh, from, yeah. Um, yeah. goes from Wanaka to Arrowtown. And I thought... This is a good entry level ultra. It's like fifty two, fifty five k, whatever. Yeah. So not too much further than a road marathon, but fuck, it was the steepest thing I've ever done. <laughs> so much vert, and I was standing at the, the the start line with um with my head torch on. The first yeah. couple of k's are just flat on a gravel road before you hit the trail. I was looking around, sizing up all my competitors, thinking, "Oh, that elderly lady, I'll beat her. Yeah. Those those guys, I'll beat them." <laughs> and I was just smoked by everyone. It, all these people with poles who obviously knew what to expect were just passing me throughout the, yeah. the run. It was the most challenging thing. And there's um, parts you 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 know these waratahs, these poles that you're talking about as a guide. Like you're running along, and sometimes they're hard to see. And you can't see a competitor in front of you or behind you, but it's the most. I don't know, man versus wild sort of thing I yeah. guess, you know, city dwellers like us can experience. That's what I, the thing I do love about ultra running is it's not really a race, well, not at my level, it's not really a race. You're not racing anyone. So you, you catch up to someone and I stop and I stop, we have a yarn with them, we I chat things out with them, how's it going and what are you doing, where are you from, what are you doing? Poor bastards, they get bloody interrogated by me. But <laughs> God, 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 you're not filming, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I passed one guy on Saturday and he goes, love your work, and then he goes, have you considered covering the field with a fielding field day? Don't <laughs> 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 you later. Well, do you, do I, you get a bit of that? Or people saying, this isn't for your fucking TV? Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get the old, you get to stop at the old, there's one person across the swing bridge and there's a big pile up there and you're standing there at the bottom, you know, trying to eat at the back of the queue and the woman turns around and goes, oh, is this going to be on the news tonight? <laughs> yeah, I'll just pull my camera out of my ass. I was like, nah, day off, day off, day off. 
Yeah. But it is great than those ultra events that there's no real racing because you're just trying to survive and get to the end. And there's a kind of feeling of together rather than oh, anyone's an opponent. It's just, you know, how are you doing? Do you need help? Yeah, I agree. It's, um, yeah, it's quite different to road, road events. Hey, this, that yeah. real sense of community. It's and, really cool. And no one really, well, at the level I do it, no one cares about time. Like it's eight and a half hours on, um, Saturday, and you feel like you kind of go, Oh, maybe I could do eight, but I've never done it before. And then you just, I was bad halfway with the one eight station. I was like five hours. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be forever. But you don't, not concentrating on your watch. I don't try not to look at my watch. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's not about that. So you got any aspirations to go real long, like do a 100 miler or? I don't know. Mm. My friend um, who kind of coaches me on the side, Helene Barron, she just did the 160K at um, Tarawera, and I was following her dot around the map. Like, you know, she thinks she finished at 2 a.m. And I'm just like, this is insane. It's horrible. <laughs> when yeah, 160K. So, yeah, that's the miler, right? 100 miles. Yeah. It's just insane. It's like running Palmas north to Wellington. Yeah, I think she took it's uh, bonkers. 22 hours or something. It's yeah. Just, it's just uh, so much admiration for it. And also admiration for the event, but admiration for the training. Because that's a bit that no one sees. And, you know, she was getting up at 3 a.m. and running 50Ks before breakfast. and Yeah. It's like. Yeah, that's that's the thing that the event itself, the twenty two hours, which sounds like torture to most normal people, is actually the victory lap. Yeah, right. That's the thing. That's the thing you do with these um, support crews and spectators, it's a party. and you get the ponamu at the end. Yeah, um, and you you feel like a, a rock star for a couple of minutes. But what people don't see is the six months, eight months, twelve months before that, where you're going out in the middle of the night doing yeah. those fifty k runs, and their families. Mum's gone. <laughs> person's gone, and then you know that by six pm that day they must be totally wrecked. I don't yeah. know how people function. Yeah. Oh well, it's been great to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you for having it's me. It's fascinating. I really, really appreciate you coming over. Um, I'm surprised our paths have never crossed at, at an event. It seems like we've done a lot of. The, when did you do Kepler? Oh. Did you do Kepler last year? No, I did, well, I did in December, which was last year. Yeah, right. I have seen you at the uh, the Court New Zealand's easiest marathon. It's the, what is it? The No Mistake Marathon. It's uh, mountain to surf in New Plymouth, and you were—I was running the half. And oh, that's right! I did that a number of years ago. Yeah, yeah. how'd yeah. you enjoy that? I hated it. It was awful. It's, it's mo- mostly high. mostly downhill. Yeah, starts at Mount Taranaki, finishes in Waitara. Um, but the last um, the last at ten or fifteen k's, it's just like a flat road. Yeah, into Waitara. There's no no people cheering on the side of the road. No. You look in front of you, you can't see anyone. Look behind you, you can't see anyone. You wonder if you're on the right path. Yeah, just cows, <laughs> just cows. Just yeah. yeah, it was um, it was all right. I, I was supposed to get a Kepler last year as well, but I um, did you did you get like a celebrity pass in, or did no. you have to get up at three in the morning and no, uh, reset the computer like everyone else? No, well, I only saw I was doing a good sort in the route burn track as a, a a warden, hut warden, and we had three hours to walk into his hut. He was he had to establish the trapping program. And so we've got three hours to, you know, chat away, and he's talk, told me how he'd done this Kepler Challenge and the training he'd done. At the time, I'd never done much running really back into it. And at the time, I thought, oh, imagine spending all weekend running. God, I'd be unpopular at home. They're never going to do that. And then bloody Facebook, it came somehow, it must have heard me talking to this Doc Warden <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in the root burn. And Facebook scrolled down, Kepler Challenge, and I clicked Interested. And my mum, who must have a PhD in Facebook, like 10 seconds later, my phone's ringing. Are you doing the Kepler Challenge? I just saw you're interested in it. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, I didn't think about it again. And then 
uh, the deadline passed because you got to get up at six a.m. to try and get oh, yeah, it's, to get a. It's so it's, it's easy to get tickets to Harry Styles than to get into the. <laughs> it sells out in like a minute, right? Yeah, and so then I, there's a wait list that's longer than the actual list of competitors. It's so crazy. It was none of this, and I thought, oh, so I emailed them, and they said there's a charity entry. We pay a thousand dollars. And you can get in, and with there's twenty places of those, and the money goes directly to a Tiano um, organisation. I think it was for new cricket uh, pitch, and there was a shade sale at the Kindy or something that year. Cool. And I was like, okay, I think I can do that. And actually, by paying a thousand dollars, it made me really committed because maybe I'm a tight ass, but I was just like, a thousand dollars is a lot. Yeah, I've paid a grand for this, so I'm you know this money could be going to other things in our family. So I'm that made me committed, which is really a good thing. Yeah, you enjoy it? Oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, just, well, loved the first five hours. I had the last couple. But the first five hours, uh, that's uphill, and then it's downhill, right? Yeah. Uphill to um, the Luxmore Hut. Yeah. And then uh, all the way downhill. Yeah, so it's 60K, so 30K is in the mountains, but they say the race really, well, the event really begins once you've done the mountain section because you get down right on the 30K mark. You think, oh, 30 k's of flat, I can do that. that, can do that. But then all the mountain stuff that your legs have gone through. Oh, your legs are just shot. Yeah, so I got 10 k's from the end. I had a mate from Invercargill, and he I'd never done this thing before, and he'd never support crew before. I said, oh, can you, can you have a bottle of Coke? So I heard Coke's quite good for you to get your... Oh, flat Coke. Yeah, it's like petrol. Wow, flat's the operative word. He didn't know, <laughs> he didn't know it was supposed to be flat. So I chugged this Coke. Felt amazing for about a K, and then my stomach just ebbed. I didn't see it. was very close. <laughs> you just need to drop a couple of Mentos in oh, as well. Oh, we didn't do right. it, man. It was bad. Jeez. I, I was supposed to be um, in last year's Kepler. I managed to get a spot, um, but I had a knee issue. Um, but they were, the organiser had been kind enough to defer my entry to this year, and I just oh, can't wait. Yeah. I'm chomping to do it. Fantastic. It's like a lifelong goal to do the Kepler Challenge. Well, I say no one cares about time and ultra distance, but I you get greedy, right? So I did eight hours in one minute. So I'd love to go back and do something mm. with seven. So maybe I'll see you at the start line. I think that's the, that's the thing. Once you've done it once, you have like a, a benchmark, don't you? Like a personal benchmark to compare it to. Yeah, and I met people on that track that had done seven times, eight times, and at the time I was wondering why I would have brought them back, but I can see now mm. why they would. Just pray for good weather. Yeah, well, maybe I'll see you there this year. Yeah. Maybe we can share a room together at the Distinction. Is that, is that a place? There's like one hotel where you yeah. stay at. <laughs> yeah, my friend from Chicago, he stayed in the room with me at Distinction and we got, we got up at 5am. Sorry, this podcast will never end. We got up at 5am and we're like, let's role play this. What's going to happen? Because what am I going to forget? Because I forget everything. So I got all my bag on and got my, I got my drinks, got my food, got my running shoes, got my number. What can go wrong? Cock a hoop. Got out, got in the car, got to the start line. Ten minutes to go. Look down, and I'm like, oh, that guy must be on home detention. He's got an ankle bracelet. And then I'm like, oh, that's a transponder oh, that you need for your time. My friend Nick drove 140 k's back to town out to get the transponder, and I got there with a minute to go. You put oh, it on with a minute my to God. Go. But by, at the start, I was panicked, but then at the end, I was just sitting there chatting to a steward, to the guy with a steward, and I was like, oh, look, it's eight or ten hours of running. If I start five or ten minutes late, is it really going to matter? Yeah, that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. But did, did you manage to, oh, so you managed to start with the rest of the start, pack? Yeah, right at the back, right. which I do like starting at the back because you can pass people, which is good for your morale, and saying that it's not a race, but it always makes people, you'd rather pass people than be passed. And there's plenty of people to chat to on the way up, and it also makes me go slow. So you don't, we've all mm. sprinted out of the gate and then paid for it later oh, on. Oh, so. 100%. 
What's well, you say? It's good. It's good starting at the back. Hello, this hey, is Kanye, buddy. my dog. He hey, just arrived. Buddy. Kanye, that's Hayden. How's it going, buddy? Hey, come here. Um, well, you say you love to chat to people, but if you start at the back last year, it's lucky that you even. Yeah, you know, I mean, Brody Kane. She was running last year. She loves a conversation. Oh, you're yes, lucky that you got yes. past her. Well, I don't know where she was. Mm. Yeah, because we um, text a wee bit afterwards. I said congratulations and stuff. And I didn't see her. I thought yeah. I would have heard her. You yeah. normally hear her before you see her. <laughs> she did a lot of Instagramming while on the um, on the she? Kepler Challenge. Yeah, there was a lot while of stories. While she was doing it. Yeah, while she was doing it. She wow. looked like she was having more fun than anyone else that day. Yeah, yeah, she's a great person. Which is key. Yeah. All right, hey, Hayden Jones, thank you so much for coming over, man. I really appreciate I'm going to wrap this up now because my dog is trying to lick my face off. It's a full-on make-out session. Um, it's been... I was exactly the same as you. You mentioned before you got a dog a few years ago and you were the family member that was hand-breaking the yeah, idea. Yeah. I was exactly the same. Did not want this dog at all. This was a, uh, a 40th birthday present to my ex-wife, JJ. Uh, yeah. Um, but he loves me the most. Ah, uh, there you go. And um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm obsessed with him. He's a they, huge part of my life. They choose you. Yeah, they do. Hey, um, thanks very much for your time. Really oh, appreciate, appreciate it. it. And you truly are a good sort. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. That was Hayden Jones. A quick favour, if you haven't done so already, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, if you could subscribe or like the show, uh, that would mean a lot and it would go a long way. Also, if you haven't done so already, give the show a rating if your podcast app allows or even write a review. Thank you so much. And thanks again to the sponsors of this week's episode, Radix Nutrition. RadixNutrition.co.nz is their website, R-A-D-I-X, and they've got a special deal going at the moment. You can sample their protein powder for free. Five sample sachets, five different flavors for $5 postage. Just go to RadixNutrition.co.nz, click on drinks, then click on try sample pack, or if that's too much to remember, find the link in the show description. All right, great to have you along. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hope to see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.